welcome to Nerds at Church, a podcast about nerdery and the Bible. I'm Pastor Emily, and I use pronouns like they, them, theirs. And I'm Pastor Kay, and my pronouns are she, her. In this episode, we'll discuss the first Sunday of Advent, which this year falls on November 29th. Also, we'd like to offer a big thank you to Rachel Meyer Lachlan for our wonderful theme song, which she Woo-hoo! was kind enough to record for us. Uh, it was also on our intro episode, but we didn't hear it until after we had recorded the intro episode, and we weren't sure that she'd be able to record it for us, so we couldn't say thank you then. But thank you now, Rachel. We appreciate it. You're and awesome. You did a wonderful job. Our theme song has bits and pieces from three different songs that you may recognize. The first piece of the theme song is from a hymn called The Canticle of the Turning, which is a favorite for both of us, and it is focused on justice. And we hear the Bible verses that it is based on during the season of Advent, so stay tuned, and in an episode coming up, you will hear all about that. One of the other songs is the Star Wars theme song, which is one of my favorite nerdy musical themes and one of my areas of nerdery. And the final piece of the theme song is from the Star Trek Voyager theme, which is a favorite nerdy musical theme of mine. And the entire Star Trek franchise uh, is something I've loved for years. One note for this and future episodes, we are moving away from having a blog where we host our links. So make sure you check out the description for this episode to find a link to the Bible passages we're referencing and any other references that we might make in this episode. For this Advent episode, our deep dive is into the word and concept apocalypse. It actually comes from the Greek, and the Greek is apokalypsis, so very similar. And it means an uncovering or an unveiling. So a revealing, if you will, removing a veil, perhaps, that sort of a thing. Like removing the veil of the Ark of the Covenant, like they did in Indiana Jones. (laughs) That is brilliant. Yes. One thing to be clear in Apocalypse, so there are lots of ways that things are revealed. In Advent, we read about different things. And it can have a, like, scary connotation, but that's not necessarily what an apocalypse is. Culturally, a lot of the way that um, particularly Christians think of the end times, a second coming of Christ, or what is whatever is to come, is actually not biblical so much as a lot of people just think of the Left Behind series. Yeah! Exactly my thoughts as well. To clarify... Apocalypse is an unveiling, a revealing, but not in the Left Behind series kind of sense. The Left Behind series is not actually biblical apocalypse. It's actually just really bad religious speculative fiction. Kind of like, for those of you who are Supernatural fans, kind of like the Supernatural series, especially the more recent episodes and seasons. As we record this almost immediately after the finale aired... I know, but I didn't watch the finale, but I also got all of that supernatural information from one of my really good friends, Stephanie, who is an English teacher teaching a sci-fi and fantasy class right now, and who did watch (laughs) the supernatural finale last night, like, got her sister to babysit for that purpose. 
I am not personally in the Supernatural fandom either, but I have greatly enjoyed the last 15 years of watching the Supernatural fans collectively online doing various dramatic things. It is quite entertaining. Yes. Yeah. So just to clarify, when we're talking about Apocalypse, we're not talking about the Left Behind series. We're talking about a revealing of the heart of who we are, a revealing of the heart of who God is, a revealing of the heart of the cosmos, of Earth, of creation. There are all sorts of different ways that things are revealed or unveiled. And it almost certainly will not look like the Left Behind series. Thank goodness. Or The Walking Dead, while we're talking about apocalyptic literature um, and so forth. I also wanted to point out that uh, there is a gentleman online named Fred who also goes by the nickname Slacktivist, and we will include a link in our description to his very careful go-through of the first two books of the Left Behind series and also the first two movies, uh, where he goes through them page by page and scene by scene, dissecting them in terms of, okay, so are these people doing Christian things or not? Uh, one of the most memorable moments being the time when I think it's Buck who is portrayed as a hero while uh, driving on a highway for daring to pull out of the regular lane of traffic and drive on the shoulder, which, having been in terrible traffic myself, we all know what people actually think about people who do that, so that will stick with me for a very long time. Yep, so we'll link to that for you if you want some more deep dive into what exactly the Left Behind series is missing. Yes. Our first Bible passage for this episode, for the first Sunday of Advent, is from Isaiah chapter 64, verses 1 through 9. The prophet Isaiah laments for the people's dashed hopes and longs for the majestic, dramatic arrival of God in the world to renew and deliver God's people. So one of the themes for this passage is abandonment. This passage comes after several chapters ago, which we'll read about next week because Advent is all sorts of timey-wimey, wibbly-wobbly stuff, <laughs> which is a misquote, I know. We love you, Dr. Mm-hmm. The theme of abandonment, there's been this prophecy of deliverance, of comfort from God, and it hasn't happened. What they've faced instead is dashed hopes. And so there's this feeling of abandonment that Isaiah voices. And the thing that popped into my mind was the fellowship in Lord of the Rings, the fellowship after Gandalf takes on the Balrog and the Balrog like has that one last like whip that catches Gandalf and brings him down with him. And the entire party is devastated and just like their hope and all of the things that they had thought that Gandalf would help with and would embody and would do are, all of those hopes are just like dashed so Isaiah channeling the hobbits <laughs> or possibly the other way around details details <laughs> is this another question of God's time versus our time hmm <laughs> we'll get to that one later okay Literally. In verse 1, as we hear this desire for God to tear open the heavens and come down, it reminded me of the ways, it's not the same way, but in the movie and short story, The Arrival, these alien creatures come down and they have these like big, weird, 
spaceshipy things and they just kind of appear hovering and like around and so it feels like this like somehow the heavens were op- were torn open and they just like came and appeared but what I really love about the arrival is that the aliens actually have a completely different concept of time and writing and so like as the person learns their writing system they start to experience time the same way um but their t- concept of time, the alien's concept of time, is actually a lot more like God's concept of Kairos, which is this like floaty, amorphous blob of everything all at once cloudiness instead of our like linear Kronos. And I could go real deep dive into Kairos versus Kronos, and maybe I will in the future, but that's not for this episode. Uh, that does definitely remind me of Cisco and the prophets uh, having their very confusing conversation about time and how neither of them really understand it. But for Cisco, it's linear, and for the prophets, it's not in Deep Space Nine. Uh, I believe that was actually one of the first episodes. In verse two, we have Isaiah comparing these great, extraordinary things that will illustrate that God is coming back into the world by comparing them to as when fire kindles brushwood or fire causes water to boil. So like I said, this passage starts with a list of big, impressive ways that God's renewed presence in the world would be shown through extraordinary things happening in nature. But presumably, Isaiah, knowing that most of us would have limited experience with such extraordinary acts of nature, as they didn't have YouTube back then. And the heavens don't actually get torn open. Well, I mean, they haven't yet. That doesn't mean God can't... I I know, but, like, YouTube's not going to show us that. Well, no. Well, I imagine that there are several artists' renditions on YouTube, but I haven't gone looking Mm, for them, and now I I feel like I haven't used my spare time correctly. (laughs) Thanks, Emily. That's my file. (laughs) Here, the prophet compares these extraordinary things to perfectly ordinary things that are still pretty extraordinary when you think about them, like, say, a fire lighting or a pot of water beginning to boil. Uh, because we can still find God in the little, ordinary, extraordinary things going on all around us. And fire is awesome. Oh, yes, fire is awesome. I am definitely a pyro, too. This makes me think of the video game Skyrim, which came out in the year 2007 and is still popular these days, partially because there are so many things that you can do and uh, and find in the game. Some of those things are big and extraordinary, like fighting dragons and learning magic. But what has surprised many people who are still playing the game is the tiny little stuff that still, even 13 years later, is getting discovered. There is a guy on YouTube, speaking of YouTube, who is named Nate, who has been doing videos for something like eight years now, based on, uh, here are ten tiny details in Skyrim you may have missed. Uh, And he's been doing those for years, and he is still going strong and still finding new stuff. And when I read this Bible verse... I immediately thought of one of those details that people tend to miss in the game is that if you cast a fire spell toward a shallow pool of water or a a small creek, you can actually make the water boil. Some developer of the game actually went and added that tiny detail to the game, which is one of the Hmm. things that makes the game so interesting because you keep finding little stuff like that. And it's one of those things that if you have never tried to do it, you won't have found out about it. So about a month ago, I got to introduce that detail to a guy who has been playing Skyrim literally since 2007. <laughs> and he'd never noticed that before. So I love how we can find these ordinary, tiny, 
but extraordinary things in our lives that reveal God to us. I mean, in this case, it's not revealing God in Skyrim. It's revealing the detail that the developers threw in, but it's the same thought in our lives. And we might find them at any time. You never know. <laughs> I, as we went, as we moved through to verse eight, we hear Isaiah tell God, we are the clay and you are our potter. We are all the work of your hand. And it reminded me of the different, some of my favorite stories within stories or movies are actually the ones that look like they're made by hand. So this happens in Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows with the tale of the three brothers where it's like, it looks like cut out papers to tell the story. But it also happens in Jingle Jangle, which if you have not watched it, it is a new Christmas movie on Netflix right now. And it is phenomenal. Like I have heard wonderful things. Best yeah. new Christmas movie ever. Even if, though it's on Netflix, I would like to own this one. Like add this to my wish list. But part of the story, it is a story within a story. And so there's a piece of it where, like, the characters look like they're, like, little toy robot-y things. And oh, cool. That's really fun. And speaking of that style of storytelling, I feel like if we're in Advent and we're headed toward Christmas, we can't pass this by without doing a shout-out to Claymation and the wonders of Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer and so forth. But, uh, it's true, I do love claymation. Yes, I also looked at verse 8 and the we are the clay and you are our potter uh, part, and while I could certainly use that verse to make a reference to our podcast's previous incarnation, instead, I would like to point out that while the 1990 movie, Ghost, uh, starring Patrick Swayze, Demi Moore, and Whoopi Goldberg, is rarely categorized as a fantasy movie. It absolutely is one. I mean, when you look at the storyline, you really can't deny that. There's fantasy all over it. Um, I mean, it also implies ghost, some pretty... So. Well, yes, exactly. Um, it implies some pretty interesting theology, to boot, but we don't have to go there. But, of course, there is the famous pottery wheel scene uh, that comes to mind immediately on reading this verse. Um, and that then... is literally the only thing I know about the movie Ghost. It is actually a pretty decent movie. Like, I I had heard so many people making fun of it before I saw it, but it's, it's not bad. And Whoopi Goldberg is clearly having a fabulous time, so I, I enjoy watching movies where people are clearly having a good time making them. When you're watching that scene, if the person at the pottery wheel is God, as this verse implies, then I guess your question is, is it Demi Moore or is it Patrick Swayze? Or maybe both. Hashtag you never know. Binary. Yes. Both and. That's also a Lutheran. Hashtag Lutheran. <laughs> Saint and Sinner, Demi Moore, and Patrick Swayze. Wait, what? <laughs> Our next reading for the first Sunday of Advent is 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 through 9. Paul writes to the church in Corinth, giving thanks for their spiritual gifts and reminding them that God will give them strength. So one of the themes in this is words of affirmation, right? Paul is thanking them and affirming them. And it got me thinking of the five love languages, which I don't know how familiar everyone is with them, but presumably there are five love languages. I actually have loved articles that have said, actually, there's more than five. But it is very sure. clear to me that one of Paul's primary love languages is words of affirmation because oh, yes. so much of his writing is like affirming people and thanking God for people and affirming God and thank like 
And, and he's actually so people. enthusiastic about it. You would hope that the church in general would be better at that. But I, it's one of those things we still haven't quite gotten down. You would think, but also, like, words of affirmation are definitely not my love language. Well, that's fair. Not even my top three, probably. And so, like, there's a piece of me that's like, no, it just feels really weird. Words of affirmation. Weird. That's okay, Emily. We still love you. Thanks. <laughs> When we reach verse 5, we hear, For in every way you have been enriched in Christ, in speech and knowledge of every kind. And, you know, when I think of people being enriched by Christ, speech and knowledge are not really what come to mind first. <laughs> you know, I suppose Moses did get some public speaking lessons from God earlier in the Bible, really, he got which is pretty unusual when you think instead. about it. But... Personally speaking, I am terrible at learning, say, foreign languages, uh, although I do love them and I would love to be better at it. And so I would be totally up for learning a foreign language this way. Uh, and now I have a mental image of Jesus as Tank from the first Matrix movie uploading knowledge into a person's mind, which could be a useful application of... Yeah, that doesn't have any like terrifying connotations for taking over people's minds at all. No, just adding information, not, you know, mind control. Well, mm -hmm. not from Tank, anyway. Tank was a nice guy. I'm just saying. Yes. You never know. Also, we'll you know, sacrificed that. himself for everyone else. So. Also true. I, when I looked at five, verse 5, I was thinking about Vision in the Avengers series in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Um, but Vision was like this compendium of a bunch of different operating system-y things. And so Tony Stark tried and failed miserably with the whole, yeah. like, upgrade human thing to robot. And what became Vision actually is what, like, stopped that Tony Stark invention from getting out of control. But then it Vision became, in almost every way, a human and, like... And so was enriched in speech and knowledge of so many different kinds that Vision could also be beyond human, particularly beyond Tony Stark's version of humanity, to be a broader, more, some might say, visionary human. <laughs> <laughs> but to be fair, I believe that the machine that does successfully create Vision, that machine was also created by Tony Stark. Like, we're talking about Jarvis, right? So I mean, yes. But, like... There had been several intervening years where Jarvis got to create his own personality. So Yes, and, like, got to experience life outside of Tony Stark. Right. The world outside of Tony Stark. Which was very important in anybody's development, really. <laughs> uh, then, in verse 7, we hear, As you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ. Look, it's an apocalypse! Wow! There have been so many dramatic revealings and unveilings in media over the years, but still the first one that comes to mind for me is the revealing of the true appearance of the wizard in The Wizard of Oz, me later reimagined into the musical Wicked. Uh, the idea of Jesus coming out from behind a curtain, revealed to be an ordinary person like us, instead of a big, scary, booming voice, actually does seem to fit, though, doesn't it? It does in some ways. I mean, although I guess... Now that we're in the year of Mark, the messianic secret is back, so I could totally see the, like, yes. giant booming voice be like, pay no attention to the man behind, behind the, curtain. the curtain. Pay yes. no attention to the Messiah appearing before you. Mm -hmm. So that does feel very similar. 
we're in Advent, so we don't have to worry about Transfiguration Sunday right now. Exactly. And also, you know, as long as we don't think about, like, how the wizard was not actually a great person and was just trying to scam everybody and, you know, all those other things. But as long as we don't think about that, yeah, it's a great way of thinking about Jesus. (laughs) (laughs) Our last reading for the first Sunday of Advent is from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 13, verses 24 through 37. Known as the Little Apocalypse, in the 13th chapter of the Gospel of Mark, Jesus talks to his disciples about what his return to the world will look like. So one of the themes that comes up in this passage is dark and night, and um, ideas about darkness and night. And and so this is a spot where it's important for us, particularly because Kay and I are both white, to name the ways that dark and night are used, especially in Advent, and the ways that we could be using them in Advent. A lot of the time we hear this image, like the imagery that we hear puts light with whiteness, with goodness, and dark with blackness, with badness. And those have real racist implications in our culture today. Oh, yeah. um, In really big and powerful ways. And so one of the movements in more recent years has been to switch from advent themes that pit light and dark to each other against each other to opportunities either to explore different parts of advent different ideas of advent like the journey that advent is or even to explore and deepen our relationship with the mystery and the wonder of darkness and night And uh, Reverend Dr. Will Gaffney is a biblical scholar and professor and has some great blog entries, and we'll link to one of them, but you can find a bunch on her blog, that explore the gift of blackness and the gift of darkness in Advent. And L. Dowd, who's a Lutheran seminarian, also has a really great worship service in praise of darkness that you can check out. Both of those are really great examples of taking advantage of Advent for what Advent is, an exploration and a journey into darkness and into the heart of God's revealing God's self to us. Absolutely. So make sure you check the description for those links. As we dive into the passage itself, the first verse says, But in those days after that suffering, the sun will be darkened. And just to be clear, this is not just because the First Order has started up Star Killer Base and is draining all of the life out of the star so that it can destroy other planets and solar systems and stuff. Although that was long, long ago. Uh-huh. But in a galaxy far, far away. So. True. In verse 26, we hear, Then they will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds. Now, if anyone else out there is wondering to themselves if they are the only one who reads this verse and the first image that comes to their mind is the way that God appears in the various Monty Python movies and sketches (laughs) as a decoupage style of the clouds, lightning, and the old bearded white guy face. No, you're not alone. That's me too. But remember, Jesus wasn't white, so that is inaccurate in at least one way. Mm-hmm. And also, another way of saying son of man would be son of humanity, or the human one, or Reverend Dr. Will Gaffney, again, with one born of woman. The idea behind yes. son of man is like that 
is emphasizing Jesus' humanity personhood. and personhood. And it's just that when this was first translated, there was a false conception of man as humanity. Like yes. mankind, which we don't say anymore. We say humankind or humanity. In verse 32, we hear, but about that day or hour, no one knows. And so thinking about like all of the times and, and the, the impending some things, um, a lot of times they think I experience anything impending as impending doom unless proven otherwise, which is very similar to Dr. Miranda Bailey on Grey's, but not similar to Dr. Atticus Lincoln on Grey's. Um, in case you can't tell, I am still working my way through Grey's, which Kristen Peters got me hooked on this summer. But I will get there eventually. I'm in season 15, so I'm almost through. But that show has a great, like, there's such an array of how people respond and react to things that are impending. Versus, for example, Elsa in Frozen 2, who decides that in response to the unknown, she's going to sing a song that freaks out all of the elements and sets a whole potentially catastrophic, though not actually, spoiler, set a series of events into play. And then in verse 35, we hear, For you do not know when the master of the house will come. Which reminds me of the TV series West Wing, when the president would enter a room. And he seemed to enjoy popping in unexpectedly, I think. Mm -hmm. Everything else stops, and everybody stands up, and he is always the center of attention any time he's in a room, with the possible exception of when he's on pain medication, which is just pretty hilarious anyway. But I loved especially how, in the series, it was made clear that the respect that everyone had for him, it was partially because of the office that he held, but it was also because of the personal respect and affection that they had for him as a person. Um, my favorite of him popping in, incidentally, is actually the very first pilot episode. Because yes. he just pops in at the very end to, like, leave a zinger and... And happens to cite the first commandment as he does it. You know. In very dramatic fashion. Well, did you know that President Bartlett is Catholic because Martin Sheen, Martin Sheen is, is Catholic? Catholic and, it was really, and he really wanted faith to be an important part of that. And I actually love the way that that gets explored. They did a lovely job with one exception. President Bartlett cites the book of Revelation several times and always calls it Revelations. And every time I want to stab something. But aside from that, it's fine. They did a nice job. True. Every time we cite the book of Revelation, we will clarify that it is Revelation, not Revelations. We are allowed to have pet peeves. Thank you very much. Mm -hmm. That's a big one. Thanks for joining us. Catch us next time when we'll discuss nerdery connections to the scripture readings for Advent 2. This podcast has been produced by us, Emily Ewing, and Kay Roloff. For more fun, check us out on Twitter and Facebook at N-E-R-D-S-A-T-C-H-U-R-C-H, Nerds at Church, or contact us at nerdsatchurch at gmail.com. Also, if you like what you've heard, rate us or leave us a review on iTunes, Facebook, or wherever you catch your podcasts. If you appreciate what we do or want to be able to get actual transcripts of the podcasts, consider supporting us on Patreon at patreon.com slash n-e-r-d-s-a-t-c-h-u-r-c-h, Nerds at Church. We hope Patreon can help us get our episodes transcribed for those who need or prefer that, though if you want to help us with transcripts, let us know via email or social media. As the ancient Christian said, 
Pox Phobiscum. Phobiscum.